Hey everyone. Hi. Hi. I'm Liza. I'm Riz. And I'm Lexi. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. So little sleeping, and so much reading, his brain dried up, and he went completely out of his mind. Yeah. I kind of just went for it. I kind of was like, am I supposed to talk now? Yes. You did it, you did it perfectly. Lexi, we should have had you play the piano live. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean I could still do that later. You could play that you could I don't play- really remember the um piece I wrote for you off the top of my head. I kinda improvised it that day and recorded it. We sing it every single week and we go, Lexi. We go, where's Lexi? I'm so happy that you guys still use it. If you ever need any other things recorded, yeah. Let me know. We'll hit you up. <laughs> Hit my line. Nice um, little bong rip she just did. Yeah, you know, had to get the juices flowing. Get the creative juices. Get the poets, do, do what the poets do. They do smoke. Do you, okay, poets, what is the poetry drug of choice? Do we think it's weed or do we think it's something darker? I think it's alcohol. I think so too. I think it's like dark alcohol dark liquor i think it's dark liquor i also feel like a poet loves a like a like an opioid yeah i think a poet loves an opioid and a poet loves an opioid chased down with a bottle of scotch or a yeah bottle bottle of scotch mm-hmm. and and that's how you'll that's how they do it. It, it i think it like i think it's the law it's, lot, it's that it's it's uh, a lot of like, crying. Yeah, crying. Perhaps some self, perhaps some self harming. Probably that. Perhaps some, perhaps some heads in some ovens. Who knows? You may put your you head. Know? Up. You definitely have to have some sort of um, mental illness. Yeah. Club to join the club. And I think that is true. I think any writer. Well, no, I actually don't think it's any writer, but I think. Any poet? Yeah. Yeah. Something's at least a little... Even Ruby Carr's got something a little off with her. Uh, yeah, she's got some sort of personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it's narcissistic. Right. <laughs> right. No shade to Ruby Carr. No I actually, I, I actually do mean no shade because I anything that gets people to read poetry, I am here for. That's actually very true. Yes. Did you guys know that she like went on tour last year? And I was like, like what a rupee core. Like she like went on like, to like read her poetry like live, like a concert. But it was like a but it's like a concert, but it's like just a reading. Yeah. Like yes. Okay. Interesting. I mean, she's I I mean, hey, she's getting her kind of she's getting her coin. Yeah. It sounds kind of fun. If it if I was really into like 
Ruby Card. She was doing like a live poetry reading concert. I mean, that'd be kind of cool, but. Yeah. Right. And like, what if she read and then she invited people to come on stage and then they could also read and it was just like a traveling like poetry slam. Like, that would be kind of cool. That would be cute. Do that. Uh, should we go on tour? Yeah. <gasps> poetry should. tour bus? A tour bus. A little sleep. That's a dream. And we bring like all of our friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, yeah. Like read different stuff. It would be a literary almost famous. Stop. Okay, that would be really good. Um, But y'all, we have Lexi Anderson on the show today. She's a veteran of the little sleep. Much I'm seasoned. But Lexi, do you want to get a little spice? You want to give yourself a little intro? I suppose so. Um, if you don't remember me from way back in the day, I was on like, I don't even know, the fourth or fifth or something episode of Little Sleep Much Reading, where we discussed body horror. Um, and I read a little something. Uh, but for those who don't remember or were not there or who are brand new, I'm Lexi. And I went to school with uh, my interest, my sweet besties, um, who I miss dearly, coming at you live, not live, but whatever this will be, pre-recorded from New Hope, Pennsylvania, um, where I work several jobs. <laughs> I'm hustling, but I'm also a writer. And I was a writing major with uh, these two lovely ladies. And um, I actually started out writing poetry, which is what first got me into writing in the first place in like high school and the beginning of college. And then I kind of switched to writing short stories. Um, but poetry is still very near and dear to my heart. And I think, I still think everything I write is very much poetically and language driven primarily. And um, I just love poetry. It's, it's lovely. I don't I love words. And I'm happy to be here. I don't know. Do you want to tell people about your most recent publication? <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I do have a short story that had, came out in March um, in Hobart Pulp. Um, which is Elizabeth Ellen's publication, um, and my short story, Hand on Thigh, published in there. It was actually a story I wrote in college um, in a class with that I took with Liza. And Marissa, were you in that class? Yeah, right? No? No. Oh, I'm thinking of, um, we had it in the same room. I'm thinking of our creative thinking or our critical thinking and writing class. Um, but I had this class with Liza. And um, yeah, it's a story that I like very much. I think we had to write it based off like a Jane Doe prompt or something, um, but it's about, uh, you know, shitty men and ghosts and um, being a woman and, you know, being touched by men who you don't want to be touching you and what will happen to them perhaps. Give it a read if you'd like. I'd appreciate it. We love that story so much. Thank you guys. I think we mentioned it when it first came out on the show too. And we were like, everybody go read it. Oh, of our favorite stories of all time. 
Thank you. I really, I really appreciate the love. She's late. Hey, did we all go from writing poetry to writing fiction? I think we did. Yeah, because Brett made us. And you used to write plays too, right? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I took up a, a playwriting class in sophomore year of college. And that was like the best class literally ever. And I had never written. That was like what got me into writing short stories, honestly, because I never wanted to write stories because I thought I was really bad at writing dialogue. And I was like, I need dialogue and story, which you don't need dialogue and story, but like I wanted to have dialogue in there. And I thought I just always felt like my dialogue sounds terrible. And then I took this playwriting class and it like, I don't even know, it just changed my life. We like read like these really things, like experimental poems. And I thought playwriting was going to be hard because I was like, oh, it has to be in this like format and stuff. But we didn't even like focus on the format really at all. It was more just like writing dialogue. And all I did for that entire semester was write dialogue. So I wrote a bunch of little plays and I quite like a lot of them. But that's like how I wrote, how I ended up writing. Now, like I have lots of dialogue in my stories sometimes, um, like on hand on tie, which is yes. mostly dialogue. Yes. Very Samuel, Samuel Beckett-esque vibe. We love Samuel Beckett. We do. He's our king. He's our. Did mm-hmm. you guys know that he went to Trinity? No. Oh my God, that's so amazing. Him and Oscar Wilde, and I was like, "Well, I love both of those bitches." So yes, you do. Good. We're oh my God. Same place. Stan Beckett is queer coded. He and is Oscar Wilde is flat out gay. Right. Oscar Wilde is just like literally gay. But Samuel Beckett, I mean, you're telling me that those two old dudes, what are they called? And Waiting for Godot didn't... I mean, that was a lot of waiting. That was a lot of waiting. They definitely... That was a lot of waiting, if you know what I meant. If you know what I mean. He has sort of, like, energy to him because I also feel like that one... Wait, what's that one? Where it's just the mouth. Oh, I know what you're... Not I. Not I. It's from the perspective of a woman who's clearly, like, not clearly because that whole play is up for interpretation but to me has like experienced like some sort of sexual assault that's what I feel that's why that play inspired hand on Tyla right and it's like okay no straight man is able to capture that that like and it's come from a feminine perspective like it's not like a male who has experienced a sexual assault it's like the unique feminine perspective of experiencing right no straight dude can capture that the way he did. I wholeheartedly agree. So homie is gay. Homie is gay. Confirmed. LSMR has confirmed it. You know who's not <laughs> gay? Bukowski. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> not gay. He's not. He's not. I'll, you know what? But. I feel like he's not gay in the sense that he's like, I'm not gay, but like, I feel like Bukowski got locked up in prison. He would definitely fuck a man. And I also feel like, I feel like he would fuck a guy, but definitely not in a gay way. Exactly. 
No, I you know like what I mean. He has, especially having reread this just now and having not read it since high school. It's really, really, really opened my eyes about him. Honestly, I'm kind of on the Bukowski train. I mean, I've always been on the Bukowski train, but like, not that I'm um, forgiving any of his vile behavior, but like, at least, well, I'll get into it, but <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I think we read three very different books this week. I think we did. Which what did one you guys you read? Reading? Well, should I say what I read? Yeah. Okay. So I read this week, um, <clears throat> reread for the first time since uh, high school. I read Bukowski's Charles, Charles Bukowski's You Get So Alone at Times That It Just Makes Sense which is uh, one of his older collections of poetry. I mean, like, older, like, when he, he wrote it when he was older, so one of his newer collections, I guess, but later works, one of his later works. Okay, interesting. And then what did you read, Rissy? I read um, a book called Into the Forest and All the Way Through by Cynthia Paleo. And I read The Blind Pig by Aziza Barnes, which is Afro-surrealist um, prose poetry. Like, I feel like from there. most poets in one way or another study Bukowski at some point. Right. I agree. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can start. So, wow. I have a lot to say. Um, so, I found this book... <laughs> the first time um I think I was in like ninth grade um and I was watching this movie uh you guys might have seen it it was not the best movie but it was called Beautiful Creatures um and it I don't know it was about like I think there was vampires involved and it took place in the south and the two main characters were these two teenagers it was like a love story blah 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 and the main girl was reading this book um in it and the book was this book and I she read a poem from it which I'm gonna read and she read this poem in the in the movie and I don't know they all had these nice thick act like southern accents that for some reason in this movie I was really vibing with and she read this poem from this collection and I like went out bought the book like and I was just like obsessed and I don't know what it was it's a very simple poem, the one I'm the first one I'll read, I guess, because this is the one that got me into it. Got me into writing. I don't know, it was this poem specifically. So I'm gonna read that first and then I'll talk more. <clears throat> Called No Help for That. There is a place in the heart that will never be filled. A space. And even during the best moments and the greatest times, we will know it. We will know it more than ever. There is a place in the heart that will never be filled. And we will wait and wait in that space. And that's that poem. And I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. It's very simple. And I think the thing that I liked a lot about, that I do love about Bukowski, and I think probably the reason why he got he his writing got me into writing be, is because 
his poems are very like and I and I love I do love language and I love kind of you know not like excessively flowery language but like you know more like literary writing like we're comparing like you know I love like Carmen Maria Machado you know like those type of literary writers um who are using a lot of metaphor and types and things like that but I also really love it's kind of like I have these two like like I don't know what the word is directions of the type of writing I like where it's that kind of writing and then I also like love kind of the more crass like less flowery more blunt um kind of simplistic more writing where it's more like it's just it's so specific about the way that the words are strung together to make like a just a sentence or a phrase like very just hit you so bluntly like <laughs> strongly in the heart um and I feel like Bukowski does that really well and same with like um like my other like favorite author who is George Saunders like with his just kind of the satirical looking at the world view kind of this like uh at the same point that I was getting into Bukowski and Bukowski led me into being my obsession in high school which was I was obsessed with the beat poets in high school like and I still am like I love the beats those the beats and Bukowski are like what got me into writing and they beats also use very like interesting kind of language um that I definitely tried to emulate when I first started writing but they have this kind of and so does Bukowski where they were they talk a lot about just like what life is like they just talk about life they talk about like the drudgery and the shittery and like America and like all that kind of you know the dirty grimy underbelly of America Americana and all that kind of stuff which is like very much irritating in a lot of ways just kind of like pretentious almost now when you look back at like look on it which is why I feel like now it's sort of cringe when I'm like oh I love the beat or I used to be obsessed with the beats and like Bukowski and everything because it's like it also feels very it's very like male focused uh like it's all very much coming from like a man's point of view for the most part and like obviously all the beats and really all the male that that that's the thing is like all the male writers uh the, leading up into the 20th century and even now like kind of same vibes like they just kind of maybe are writing it a little differently if it's a different style but they're all male-centered and they're all pretty misogynistic but I think like why I liked the beats and uh, is at least uh and I think Bukowski most of all does this is that he's like very upfront about the fact that he is a piece of shit. <laughs> like he 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 doesn't think that he's this great person. He knows that he's like just kind of led a life of fucking and drinking and like wasting away a little bit and um and the beats kind of are similar to where they're but I think the beats like um even way more so than Bukowski, like poeticize and romanticize their lot, these experiences more like, you know, uh, like they kind of make it still seem like it's all this beautiful disaster kind of thing that life is. But I think Bukowski is like, no, like 
it is gross and shitty and like I am gross and just disgusting and he doesn't uh, when I was rereading this book like he doesn't think it's anything great or novel to be a writer or he doesn't think that he's special he doesn't think he's um incredible or and he doesn't even want to really be like put into the cat like it's very interesting when I was reading him because I think he's one of those writers where I think some people, and I think this, I guess, can go in any kind of, especially arts profession, they just are that. Like, some people, I think, like, they want to be a writer, and they work towards it, and, like, they work at it every day, and, like, they might be really great, but I think there's also some people like Bukowski who, like, even if nobody ever got paid to be a writer ever, like, he'd still be writing, like, because he just, that's just, like what he does like he he just got words and poems like flowing out of him and he writes a lot about that in this collection and this collection like I said is like one of his later it's like one of his later works I'm not sure all the details of what came after but I this might even be like his last or second to last collection but it's a lot more compared to his other stuff which is definitely a lot more focused on like it really goes in on his like you know fucking fucking around and, and being dirty and gross and like uh you know living this crazy wild life and like the poem and it's still beautiful and everything um and great and I still like those works too but like this one is a lot more personal to him he's older I think he was probably around like mid-60s when he was writing this so his life is kind of passed a lot of the way through at this point and it's more of a lot of him but he it's 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 the most I think the most like personal and tender and kind of sweet and introspective um and less focused on the craziness and more focused on like reflecting on that craziness in this piece and he talks about simple things like he he like lives at home with his cats and he talks about how his cats are like his best friends and he's just like this old man like living in his apartment writing poems and drinking and um so I'll read some like more examples of like kind of what I'm talking about here um like let's see I've got a lot of things bookmarked um okay so this piece for example is kind of about how I was, uh, there's a few themes I was picking up in this book. One of them, like I was saying, is kind of his anti, not even that he has a stance, because I don't think he's one of those people to kind of be like very, he's very much, I think, just like going with the flow kind of guy, living his life. But like, I do, but he definitely has kind of this thing where like, he looks down, not looks down, but he kind of frowns upon writers, especially like really famous writers rich writers writers that haven't had to work or haven't had job like normal jobs or led normal lives or like de dealt with this drudgery and agony that he's talking about throughout this collection and all of his works basically um so this poem is called termites of the page the problem that i found with most poets that i have known is that they've never had an eight-hour job and there is nothing that will put a person more in touch with the realities than an eight hour job. 
Most of these poets that I have known have seemingly existed on air alone, but it hasn't been truly so. Behind them has been a family member, usually a wife or mother, supporting these souls, and so it's no wonder they have written so poorly. They have been protected against the actualities from the beginning, and they understand nothing but the ends of their fingernails and their delicate hairlines and their lymph nodes. Their words are unlived, unfurnished, untrue, and worse, so fashionably dull. Soft and safe, they gather together to plot, hate, gossip. Most of these American poets pushing and hustling their talents, playing at greatness. Poet? Question mark. That word needs redefine, redefining. When I hear that word, I get a rising in the gut as if I were about to puke. Let them have the stage, so long as I need not be in the audience. So that's one of those poems that kind of talks about uh, just his anti-writerly stance. And like, I think he just, uh, like, I think he's similar to me. And I think I gravitated toward this is like, and Liza and Ruth know this because, you know, they were in school with me. And like, we're surrounded by so many just like pretentious people all the time who, who a lot of them like being super rich um, or coming from wealthy families, which is like, whatever. Like, I mean, I come from a wealthy family, so I can't really talk, but, uh, or a wealthy dad, but like, to to come in I feel like it's like to come into college and think that you are like a like incredible profound artist already I mean not to say that your writing is bad or that you're not a writer because you are but I I think it's like you got they're missing there was a lot of perspective not um kind of in the classroom at the time and like I think that's just the same thing in like the writing world and the literary world or it's just like there's so much privilege and there's so much pretentiousness all the time. <laughs> Marissa. <laughs> uh, and it's just suffocating and it's obnoxious. It's like, not that even I look down upon those people necessarily, but it's just irritating. And it like, there's a difference between, I think those kinds of writers, even if they are talented. And like I said, the writers that just have to write because they just have, stories to tell and I think that's like another reason why I like these poems a lot is because a lot of them read like I said his language is like really simple in these poems like they're they're written in poem form like how you would imagine but they basically read like little teeny tiny I don't want to say short stories but like they're like little blips into his life like they're almost like diary entries like each one of these almost feels like a little Bukowski diary entry that he's just writing in the form of a poem because he's a poet but the language is like simple nothing very crazy happens in any of them they're just kind of him pondering and wondering let me find another one that I want to read um they're funny um this one's short and this one's hilarious or funny to me at least I thought it was funny um because he's so different at least and still a male with and still obnoxious and being a white man but I I think he's so he's so self-aware of his of who he is and of his gross white male not like status and like that I think is what at least appeals to me in the sense that like at least he's not trying to cover up and pretend that he's not 
been misogynistic or is misogynistic or is, you know, who he is. So this poem is called, Well, That's Just the Way It Is, dot, dot, dot. Sometimes when everything seems at its worst, when all conspires and gnaws, and the hours, days, weeks, years seem wasted, stretched there upon my bed in the dark, looking upward at the ceiling, I get what many will consider an obnoxious thought. It's still nice to be Bukowski. (laughs) And I just thought, I just love that. I just think it's like, he's just an old dude. I feel like I would have a beer at a bar with, like who might say something a little like gross about my boobs, but like, you know, at least old Bukowski is a little more harmless than young Bukowski. Uh, (laughs) Another thing that I noticed, I think, that I kind of changed my mind about is that when I first read this in high school, I in high school, of course, I was probably a freshman in high school and I was going through my, I mean, I was severely depressed clinically, but I was also just like going through my angsty teen phase, you know, and, um, you know, I really gravitated t- towards Bukowski because you know, he's, there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot, he's depressed, he's depressed. Like he's, you can clearly see from this that he's lived with depression and he's now a severe alcoholic. And so a lot of the poems obviously are melancholy, uh, like, you know, talking about how life is hard and sad and full of anguish and, and thing, you know, things like that. And what have you. But when I reread it, and so I would always think before, and I feel like a lot of people still think this about Bukowski, that he's like ultimately a pessimist about life and um and about people and because he lives this such this such, you know, kinda or had led that such a, you know, like I said, his wild, crazy life. Um and is clearly depressed. But when I reread it, I kind of feel the thing that I noticed about these poems, perhaps most of all, is that Bukowski isn't necessarily a pessimist, or I don't think he's a pessimist at all. I think he's just a depressed optimist at heart. Because a lot of these poems, when I was rereading this book, and it's a long collection, like 300 pages, it's like, He's talking about sadness in a way that it, it's a shared thing that we all are going through at the same time in the same world that is full of sadness and unfairness. And he talks a lot about how, I mean, this is like, I don't know, when did this come out? It was during Cold War era stuff was going on. So he's talking a lot about how, you know, they've got the atom bombs and, and, all this crap is going along, but he's talking about it in a way that's like, look at us all as people and what are we supposed to do with ourselves? Like, how are we supposed to all get through this? Like, how are you supposed to really do anything in life? And I think he has a lot of these moments in these poems where he's talking about how it's almost a shame that we have to deal with all of this because things can be nice and can be beautiful. And I think even in the moments of sadness that he's talking about in a lot of these poems, 
he still has like a lot of these turns of phrase where he said where it's almost like he's saying you know despite all of this crap which he definitely goes into a lot all of the crap you know you still push forward like I feel like that is like kind of like one of the main themes of this piece and that he touches a lot in a lot of these poems is that despite everything you still endure and you still keep going and that's kind of just shitty too because it sucks to have to keep going in a life that is so shitty but I think he 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 really focuses on you know you have yourself and you just have to keep going and so there's a couple of poems I pulled out or I noted that I for them kind of having this poignant turns of phrase and uh, optimistic kind of or what I saw it's maybe not optimism but like maybe that's the wrong word but like there's the sense of hope that these poems have despite their um, sad content so this is another one that he wrote called cornered well they said it would come to this old palette gone fumbling for the word Hearing the dark footsteps, I turn, look behind me. Not yet, old dog, soon enough. Now, they sit talking about me. Yes, it's happened, he's finished. It's sad. He never had a great deal, did he? Well, no, but now. Now, they are celebrating my demise in taverns I no longer frequent. Now, I drink alone at this malfunctioning machine. As the shadows assume shapes, I fight the slow retreat. Now, my once promise, dwindling, dwindling. Now, lighting new cigarettes, pouring more drinks. And it has been a beautiful fight. Still is. So there's that one. And let's see, I'll read a few more. This is another one I remember from reading when I was in high school that I really like. It's so funny because I was looking through this book again, and I put all these sticky notes in for this, but it was so easy for me because when I was a, in high school and the other times I might've looked at this, maybe in college, but mostly in high school, I had gone through and highlighted like literally so many things. So it was easy to go back. And I had doggy ears, like a trillion pages in here. Anyway, this one's called Relentless as a Tarantula. They're not going to let you sit at a front table at some cafe in Europe in the mid-afternoon sun. If you do, somebody's going to drive by and spray your guts with a submachine gun. They're not going to let you feel good for very long anywhere. The forces aren't going to let you sit around fucking off and relaxing. You've got to do it their way. The unhappy, the bitter, and the vengeful need their fix which is you or somebody, anybody, in agony, or better yet dead, dropped into some hole. As long as there are human beings about, there is never going to be any peace for any individual upon this earth, or anywhere else they might escape to. All you can do is maybe grab 10 lucky minutes here, or maybe an hour there. Something is working towards you right now, and I mean you, and nobody but you. So I really liked that one when I was a kid. Um, and like I said, that's because also like he's, I think too, what influenced me a lot and Liza and Riff will know this. And I used to get notes about this in college to not do this in my writing. But pretty much to this day, 
I would say 90, 85% of everything I've written, I always write with the you. I always use you. I always use you. I I don't know. I like don't know how to write any other way without talk without saying you. It's short story, poem. Because I feel like when I'm whenever I'm writing, I'm I'm like I'm talking to you as if you the you is myself, but also it's everybody. And I think that's what Bukowski like. Literally, I want to say probably every poem in this piece, he's using the you, and he's just talking about himself and he's talking about us the readers whoever everybody in the world and I like that because it just feels very like much that he is connecting all of us as people and readers when when with this with his writing here's another optimism uh let's see one I'll read I made a note of this one because I thought you guys would like it, especially Marissa, because you mentioned dun, da, 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 Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so, and I also, I, I really like this. Thing. <clears throat> so this one's called, Someday I'm going to write a primer for crippled saints, but meanwhile, thought about that. As the bomb sits out there in the hands of a diminishing species, all you want is me sitting next to you with popcorn and Dr. Pepper, as those dull celluloid teeth chew away at my remains. I don't worry too much about the bomb. The madhouses are full enough. And I always remember after one of the pieces of ass I ever had, I went to the bathroom and masturbated. Hard to kill a man like that with a bomb. Anyhow, I finally shaken R. Jeffers and Celine from my bell tower. And I sit there alone with you and Dostoevsky as the real and the artificial heart continues to falter, famished. I love you, but don't know what to do. So I like that one a lot. And I like that he mentions Dr. Pepper. Um, let me see here. Here's another fun one. Um, this is another piece where he's making fun of rich people, um, which is just always fun. Rich people and pretentious people. This one's called Their Night. Never could read Tender is the Night, but they've made a TV adaptation of the book and it's been running for several nights and I've spent 10 minutes here and there watching the troubles of the rich while they are leaning against their beach chairs in Nice or walking about their large rooms, drinking hand while making philosophical statements or fucking up at the dinner party or the dinner dance. They really have no idea of what to do the, of they really have no idea of what to do with themselves. Swim, tennis, drive up the coast, down the coast, find new beds, lose old ones, or fuck with the art, or fuck with the arts and the artists. Having nothing to struggle against, they have nothing to struggle for. The rich are different, all right. So was this ri so was the ring-tailed maki and the sand flea. So that one's fun. And Let's see. I guess I should read some like, I'll read a, let me read, I'll read like three more. Two more that are like two of my favorites. They're towards the end of the piece and definitely touch on the the hope aspect I was talking about. Oh, I really like this poem. Okay, so this one, this is before we get back to the hope. We'll talk about the uh, 
give some classic Bukowski, uh, damn, this shit sucks kind of shit. And this piece, I mean, like he talks, he has a lot of pieces in here where he talks about, I, I want to say he talks about the state of the country because it's definitely not in like a very strong political way, but he's talking about how things kind of, like I said, this is like Cold War times. So how things have just kind of under shit. Um, so this piece is called Putrefaction. Of late, I've had this thought that this country has gone backwards four or five decades, and that all the social advancement, the good feeling of person towards person, has been washed away and replaced by the old, by the same old bigotries. We have more than ever the selfish wants of power, the disregard for the weak, the old, the impoverished, the helpless. We are replacing want with war, salvation with slavery. We have wasted the gains. We have become rapidly less. We have our bombs. It is our fear, our damnation, and our shame. Now, something so sad has hold of us that breath leaves and we can't even cry. So there's that one. And then I'm going to read the last two. Um, so this this last, second to last one I'm going to read was like my other favorite piece in this whole collection. Um, it was like the first piece that I read and this piece were the ones I always came back to when I was uh, when I first found this and the last stanza in this piece, the last line, uh, I love it so much. Like I want it tattooed. Um, okay. This one is called, how is your heart? During my worst times on the park benches and the jails or living with whores, I always had this certain contentment. I wouldn't call it happiness. It was more of an inner balance that settled for whatever was occurring and it helped in the factories and when relationships went wrong with the, go- with the girls. It helped through the wars and the hangovers, the back alley fights, the hospitals. To awaken in a cheap room in a strange city and pull up the shade, this was the craziest kind of contentment. And to walk across the floor to an old dresser with a cracked mirror, seeing myself, ugly, grinning at it all. What matters most is how loud what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. And then this last piece, this is the uh, last piece in the collection, uh, the last poem. And I also very much like this piece. This one's called, It's Ours. There is always that space there, just before they get to us, that space, that fine relaxer, the breather, while, say, flopping on a bed, thinking of nothing, or, say, pouring a glass of water from the spigot while entranced by nothing. That gentle, pure space, it's worth centuries of existence. Say, just to scratch your neck while looking out the window at a bare, at a bare branch. That space there, before they get to us, ensures that when they do, they won't get it all, ever. And that is uh, some Bukowski for you guys. And um, yeah, I just really love this book. Um, I don't know. I think Bukowski is a very interesting character because I don't know. I just think he's, I think he's different in, the, in that he is at least, at the very least, self-aware of problems that he has. And, and this piece, like, 
he talks about, you know, there's one poem where he he talks about all these women that write him and, and say, oh, I want to meet up, let's meet up. Uh, I am attractive and I want to meet up. And he tells them, he says in the poem, you know, don't, don't waste your good selves on somebody as foul as me. <laughs> uh, he literally says like, I, you don't, I don't deserve you, you guys like that. And I think that's one of the pieces, interesting things about this collection is that it is so like much of a reflection of himself on, of him reflecting on his life, having me like 65 or what have you. And, um, just kind of noting the things that have changed and haven't changed and the things that really much have stayed the same are the drinking and the writing and his solitude basically. And he writes in here, there's one piece um, where he says, you know, the, he talks about how sometimes uh, he just will go in his room, take his phone, put it in the freezer for three days and the best part is that nobody misses him um which is sad but i don't know uh it's very it's it's a it's a it's like a comforting book to read almost because he is very depressed but like so am i so um and it, he's not reading and it's like if you can tell maybe from the poems i read um, and you'll definitely notice if you ever read any of more of it um, that, like I said before, he doesn't romanticize anything about his life, anything, nothing is like, and I think that's the biggest difference between him and like Hemingway and, and in the beats even is like, they'll be like, oh, I was sitting on the, the tower and the, leaning off the balcony in Paris smoking my cigarette watching the stars go by and the traffic lights and the woman I loved was beside me but I really wouldn't and she was disgusting but beautiful and like you know that kind of crap where like which is also a lot of uh you know giving first semester writing student vibes and also like some shit I wrote when I was a kid I mean not exactly because I'm a woman but you know <laughs> trying to trying to romanticize all the grungy dirty things which I don't think anything is wrong with that too and I can and I like that kind of stuff too and I love the beats but Bukowski like he is probably the most like de-romanticized writer I feel like I've read poet at least that I've read um and but in that sense it but like it it's so simple that he just things that he's writing about, you can find the beauty in them so much easily easier because it's so plain and laid out. And I think if anything that he's, if he's romanticizing anything, it's just simplicity and um, just the day to day, like, but, but not even romanticizing it, just, you know, putting it out there for you to think about. Um, and for you to for you to connect the dots and for you to maybe romanticize the your brain having read his pieces, but he's not doing that for it for you. He wants you to think about the small moments in your in your day and your life, and you know the sad ones and the gross ones and the good ones, and he wants you to think about it for yourself about what like the importance of those moments. Um, and 
he's just showing us little blips of his own moments from his life. And he just talks about, you know, chilling with his cat and hooking up here and there with some women. And at this point, there's a few poems where he talks about encounters with women that he's had. And at this point, I think just because he's older, they're not as much misogynistic because he just isn't as into it anymore in terms of like sex, I feel like. Uh, I mean, he's definitely misogynist, but the poems in which he talks about those encounters, it's kind of like, we had sex and then I realized nothing changed. We left together and like got a soda. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that, they're more just kind of like, like ah like like i said it's just like ah we fucked none of us felt anything and then we left but it's like they're less they're not very shameful i feel like upon women it's more of just like he's still talking about using women for sex obviously but uh you know i i guess maybe they were into it at this point because at this point he's 65 and it's bukowski so right right uh so yeah, I don't know. He's an interesting guy, and I think it, it kind of explains where I come from as a writer, at least. And style-wise, too, I feel like I write a lot of poems. I feel like some of my poems now are usually a mix of like this kind of. I try to find a balance between that more lots of words, language-driven stuff, and mixing it with like simplistic lines. Um, that just kind of hit you because I think that's like the he just he'll write about like just utter bullshit beautifully still but like crap for like six stanzas and then end it with a line that is like so simple but so it somehow wraps the whole thing up and makes you just and it they just I don't know the way that he can string his phrases together is so simple and so powerful and yeah I don't know. <laughs> I love that, Lexi. Thanks, guys. I think um, it's only fair that each girl gets three possible misogynistic men who they still like. Who they stand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I definitely have Bukowski. I still love my Kerouac. My beats. My beat generation good people. And then I don't know. I mean, George Saunders, I'm sure, has said some misogynistic oh, stuff. Yeah. For sure. So there, cl- there's my big three. I'll claim Murakami right here, right now. Oh, yeah, Murakami, for sure. I mean, it's like any man. That's any the thing. Man. That's why. That's like why I feel like I like... feel like it's so weird that... Or I don't think it's weird, but I think it's slightly unfair that Gukowski <laughs> gets the bad rap that he does for being shitty towards women when it's like literally everybody he just happens to happen to write about it a bunch i would argue but, yeah hemingway is worse oh for sure i because, hate uh, hemingway more than i yeah because yeah. at least you know hemingway and like uh you know i don't think f scott Fitzgerald was as bad but like pretty bad <laughs> um any of those guys like they uh, and they were pre-Bukowski obviously so it, it was even more normalized but like it was just so normal like nobody even batted an eye then it, he got kind of into the 
the you know, mid-century and obviously he's going to get called out for it because he's writing about it a bunch and so is Kerouac but so is everybody so is everybody and Kerouac and them I mean I don't even I wouldn't even say that they're self-aware I mean I, they write about it a bunch but I think and but not I feel like in a self-aware way I feel like in a way that's just like I'm a man and I can do what I want right. I feel like Bukowski is like at least knows he's not a good person right. or not he's not a good person but at least he knows he's very flawed yeah it doesn't claim to be anything else right right so there's definitely a lot to respect there I think and I just love writing I just think he's a, a great writer he is a really good writer he is a really good writer and it's another one of those things too that's like when a girl likes Bukowski I'm like okay slay bitch but then when a boy likes Bukowski I'm like that's a red flag exactly like Harry Styles I'm not sure if he understands Bukowski in the way that I do I don't think he does unfortunately I don't think he does yeah so hey besties this is future risk coming at you to let you know that this is the end of that episode because we split it into two parts yay so I hope you enjoyed this beginning part with Lexi Anderson and Riss and Liza's poetry readings will be coming to you um, on Sunday. So you only have a couple days to wait. And we're going to round out the month of April with poetry to celebrate Poetry Month. And that's it. We hope you enjoyed. Bye-bye. Our pronounce word.